welcome to a special Swansea City edition of the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I'm here with Fraser Watson. Hi, Dave. How you doing, mate? Um, if you wouldn't mind just telling everyone about why we've got you here, what you do for a living, and uh, and how often you watch the Swans. Well, obviously, Dave, it's been a it's been a depressing week uh, down at the Liberty, and, and I've had the unfortunate responsibility of being one of those to cover that. I work as a sports reporter for the Western Telegraph. Obviously, Swansea have been the uh, one of our main draws in West Wales over the last well seven years, ever since they reached the Premiership, and the years before that, we've seen the build up to them getting there. Um, so yeah, we've covered them on a very regular basis. I've had the pleasure, if you can call it that, <laughs> of the vast majority of their games this season. And obviously, this past week, the inquests have already begun in what has been a, a trying season and ultimately a very disappointing and sad one. Um, like you, you talk about the season overall there. Um, it didn't start uh, particularly well. Obviously, Clement didn't get off to a brilliant start and obviously lost his job. Was, was the general consensus in Swansea that that was a, a good decision sort of thing, that he lost his job? There was a lot of bemusement starting the season in Swansea, to be honest. They finished last year's on such a high yeah. um, with, with the Great Escape Act. Then they made a complete mess, and we'll go into this in more detail, no doubt, with the Guilty Sigurdsson saga over the summer. Yeah. They put on a almost stubborn public show of defiance in holding up Everton. They let it rumble and rumble, and then in the end, we had Sigurdsson going on the eve of the Premier League season. Lorente ultimately decided he wasn't going to say stay without any crosses into him in the box. <laughs> he quickly went too. And Swansea were all of a sudden left in a mess, and it was a mess which they tried to solve without any clear thinking. Names came in, Renato Sanchez came in, he was hailed as some kind of a saviour and marquee signing. It turned out to be a disaster. And there was a lot of scepticism going into the start from Swansea fans. Optimism, it's fair to say, turned to scepticism about how they cope without Sigurdsson, who had been such a talisman over two, two spells Absolutely. at the club. you know. And then obviously with Clement, we started slowly. We were missing the spark which Sigurdsson provided. He didn't know his best eleven, which probably a culmination of having to... to of losing those two players so quick, so sorry, so late in the summer and disrupting his plans. Yeah. And he, we never got settled under him in this campaign. And we showed no threat going forward. We were picked off by teams. We had no spark. And, and in the end, his position in modern day football probably became untenable. So it wasn't a surprise when he left. Yeah. Um, I will say that. There was a lot of sympathy for him. I don't think the flight was his fault. But it wasn't so much a surprise, but then everyone asked the question, who was there to come in? Um, and in the end, they went for Carvajal, which originally started well, and then he too almost went the same way as Clement, as just death by so little threat, really. I, I think that the, the big thing I, I seem to remember, the, the, the kind of final nail in the coffin of the, of the Clement era was, you played Chelsea, I remember, and Sanchez, as you say, was kind of hailed as this great hero, as this famous thing that seems to have gone around where he's got the ball and he's turned and passed without looking, one touch to his left-hand side, and there's absolutely no one there. And it just, it, I felt like it kind of summed everything up a bit. They've tried to shoehorn people in, and it just didn't work, and there seemed to be no cohesion, I guess. It's, it's an interesting point you made up, Dave. I was at Stamford Bridge that night, and it was a game that, that really sticks out in my mind this season. I mean, everyone obviously focused on... Uh, on the Renato Sanchez passing the ball into the red advertising hoarding. And uh, in this day of social media, you're never going to get away yeah, with exactly. that without, without, without it being noticed. But the whole 90 minutes almost summed up just what we deteriorated into. You know, Chelsea were poor that night. Yeah. And yet we didn't lay a glove on them. You know, we had no ambition. We had little threat going forward. Wilfred Boney was a completely isolated figure up front. And 
if I remember correctly, I remember Leroy Fillion blasting over from, from long range in the second half. I'm pretty sure we didn't have an effort on target in the 90 minutes. Really? Um, and it, it, I remember looking at that and it was toothless. And that was the point where I thought relegation is going to be imminent. Mm. Um, we did briefly rally, but it was, you're right, it was, if ever 90 minutes summed up a season, it was that one in Stamford Bridge. No threats and, as you say, the so-called marquee signings who were brought in to replace the big guns that had left, just no just performance nothing. levels. Um, you mentioned briefly Carlos Carvajal coming in. I've got to be honest, when he came in, I thought it was a, quite a bizarre appointment, really. He's, it, I felt like he'd got everything he could out to Sheffield Wednesday, and then they'd kind of been on the slide a little bit. Um, and he's come in, and all of a sudden, after, again, a couple of wobbly start, games to start off with, I think, was it West Ham was the first game I think you won there? Um, Watford. Watford, uh, sorry. He won, he won away at Watford on um, just right at the end And of it was December. two very late goals, wasn't it? Yes, two and, very late goals. And I seem to remember... Fortuitous win. Yeah, but there was a big momentum swell with that. Um, Absolutely. Liverpool came to the Liberty, lost. Then Arsenal came to the Liberty, lost, you know. And what Carvajal did, to his credit, and, and we'll go on to, to what he's undoing now, but what he did do to his credit is we, he came in and he just said, right, and he made us compact and solid. He started with the basics. He picked five at the back. He was prepared to sit deep, whether it be home or away. And bear in mind, what he did against Liverpool was actually quite intelligent. Because Liverpool hammered us 5-0 on Boxing Day. Yeah. You know, it could have been more. I was there for that. And they came down a couple of weeks later. And even at home, the onus was always going to be on them to attack. They'd swept us away before. They were in a crest of a wave, which they've, they've since picked up again. And Carvajal basically, he put a blanket about five. He pulled everyone deep and said, you attack us and we'll stay solid. Yeah. And, you know, he did get fortuitous. We got a goal, again, completely against the run of play. Um, and we held Liverpool out that night. And then Arsenal came to the Liberty. And that that was the game which really had people beginning to get optimistic because we actually gave Arsenal problems going forward. Yeah. It's since been get put into contact, context, really, with Arsenal's away form throughout 2018. But we won that game 3-1 deservedly. But that was really the high point. There was a 4-1 win over a ho uh, home to a West Ham side. Um, who again came and played very naively and were in the midst of a very poor run at the time. But ultimately, after that early boom from Carvajal and when teams perhaps were playing swans in realising that we weren't necessarily there for the taking and the onus became on us to attack them and go out and get results, we were found wanting. And that was shown in that, that last nine games. You look at that running and you couldn't ask for a better running if yeah. you want to stay up in the Premier League. You had nine games without a win. In those games, you had Huddersfield away, you had Brighton away, you had Bournemouth away, you had Southampton at home, you had Stoke at home. You know, you're talking winnable fixtures. Oh, very. And when the onus was on Carver Hall to send out on a team to get the result and get the win, he was found wanting. And sadly, that was summed up in the penultimate game against Southampton yeah. with team selection and with the way we played in a game where a win would have pretty much brought survival. I, uh, there's two things that stick in my mind. You, you talked about the run in there. There's two things that stick in my mind. One was, obviously, the game where the Swans played Newcastle at St. James's Park. It was billed as yes. a kind of big game for us. It was the start of a, of a period of kind of must-win games. And you came at us in a really clever way. You basically did to us what we wanted to do to teams, which is sit deep, play on the break, and really utilise your strengths, which is the you know, pace out wide, really. Um, and you, you were quite unlucky that day. I remember Hosselu got an equaliser, and I thought you actually yes, played yes. really well. You had a couple of good chances at 1-1. But it was that day when I realised, if you're not going to get the results you need to get, play in that way. I, 
I really worry where it's going to go from there. And that was really then properly epitomised in the in the West Brom game, where I, I felt like Carlos thought, job's done here, I just need to pick up a few extra points here and there and we're safe. Went out to just nick a point and it really ultimately, is I think is one of those games that really looked like it backfired on him because if they'd have gone and chased that game and really got something out of it, again, would have been safe by now. That's it. And, you know, you look at this this past week again, and I don't want to keep going back to it, but the, the Southampton game, you know, you had you had not necessarily must win, but it, it felt like do or die. The sense around the stadium ahead of that game was do or die. And the hour before kickoff, when the team sheet came out, you, you almost felt the deflation. You know, there was no kind of rallying war cry, that's for sure. It was five at the back. Um, it was three full-backs in that back five, which was bizarre enough in yeah. itself. And again, you know, we were playing without T- Tammy Abraham, who was our only fit and lead striker. He was on the bench. All right. Again, we, with Jordan Ayew, who through, you know, industry and energy has brought something to us this season, but he's not an out-and-out striker. No. And you're essentially going into, you know, into, in recent times, it's fair to say, one of the biggest games in, in the club history, you know, or at least recent history, and, and a must-win one. And you're going in with five at the back without a striker at home. Yeah. You know, and that was synonymous with how they played. You know, so little created, so little threat to Southampton's goal. And for me, if ever a, a moment encapsulated at the season, it was with eight minutes to go. And Swansea essentially needed a goal to save their Premiership lives. You wanted blood and thunder, and Tom Carroll comes off the bench. Yeah. Right? Now, Tom Carroll is a neat, tidy midfielder who hasn't really produced this season. He's shown very rarely, as he showed moments of Premiership quality in the final third. You know, that's not to say he hasn't formed performed well at, has, at times he has but if he's the guy you're bringing on when you're fighting for your premiership life yeah. when it's do or die when you're throwing balls forward it pretty much sums it up looking looking at that as, as a as something to move us on a little bit the next thing I've, I've got to talk about was things that have gone wrong from a football perspective I think we've covered that quite well um, but on that point there's a two questions really is one ultimately we know the recruitment wasn't good enough in the summer but equally, was it anywhere near good enough in January? And B, do you think that the sign, at uh, the sorry, the injuries to Fur and Bonnie played a, a big, a, a really big enough impact in that to make a difference in, in in what happened at the end of the year? I wouldn't say we could blame the injuries on us going down. They did make a big impact, but the fact that they've made such a, a negative difference just shows how lightweight on quality we were. Very you true. know, um, Lee. Leroy Fur again, he was someone who brought energy, a lot of energy, or has done a lot of energy to Swansea in his performances. Boney, again, now the jury was still out on Boney. He had struggled for fitness um, when he first came back to us. He was beginning to turn the corner. You know, I don't think we're ever going to get the Wilfred Boney a first time around, no. but he was beginning to, to show something, the signs, the holding the ball up. He was beginning to get goals under his name. And, and yeah, those, those two injuries hurt us. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, it also exposed us brutally because there was so little quality to come in and again you're talking Leroy Fur and no disrespect to Leroy Fur he's done very well at Swansea but if an injury to him is enough for your midfield to capitulate it's very telling you know and again Wilfred Boney we lost him but we were then the architects of our own downfall because we this is where the Swansea way and the tactics has become so muddled over the years we signed Tammy Abraham in the summer who is seen or was seen as a supreme talent you know he's had an England cap you're talking a guy they tipped to make the grade at Chelsea they tipped to go on and have many more England international caps you know 
and, and we sign him and then we play him and as a, as a lone striker in a 5-4-1 formation which goes totally against what Tammy Abraham is about yeah. you know and then we bin him through, he gets no service he's binned he's on the bench he Boney gets injured do we bring him back in do we look to adapt do we look to put two up front no we don't you know he just tried to put square pegs in round holes and yeah. I've made the point before I, I credit Jordan Ayew for a lot he's done this season but you're playing a winger and you know a previous championship winger let's be honest yeah. right as your lone striker, you know, and, and it just says it on the the signings we made were just almost made for the sake of it. They were almost to appease fans, I feel, you to know, make, and they were brought in with like no set plan money. of where they were going to go, how they were going to play, or the role that they were going to serve in the team. And Tammy Abraham is, is a prime example yeah, of that. No, I agree. I think you talk about square pegs around holes. Um, you basically have got no left backs or one left back in Olsen. And then about three right backs, yeah. all of which seem to be playing out of position at different points of the season. And like the lack of foresight and planning that I feel has gone into the season as a whole, but also as the season progressed, you know, thinking what was ne- what was needed, what was the obvious replacements, what was the obvious areas of weakness. I felt like it just yeah. wasn't. It was just ignored. It was almost it was almost bizarre to be perfectly honest. I'd also say as well that looking further through the squad, um, there are. There are people who, if you'd have stayed up, you should have been looking to get rid of this year because they're well past their sell-by date. But it said a lot that toward the end of the season, you were still relying on people like Dyer and Routledge to get game time. It just in the, I just felt like in a, in a wild hope that they were going to get something and turn something around and kind of make something out of nothing just because there were no other options available. I couldn't agree more. I could not. Um, and for me, you know, a name you have mentioned, missed out there, is, is Angel Rangel. Yeah. You know, no, Angel Rangel left Swansea on Sunday as one of the club's great servants. You know, I, I watched him when Martin has brought him in in League One. He was superb. He was superb in the championship and he held his own. You know, when people wrote him off at that level, he held his own in the first few years of the Premiership. Yeah. He was a high-quality right-back. But as it does with players, in the last three or four seasons, time had caught up with Rangel. You know, his performances were very dicey. He shouldn't have been anywhere near a first-team squad. You know, and the club kept him on and kept him on on the basis that he'd been a great servant and he had this legendary status, which he deserves. Yeah. You know, you're not denying him that. And but it then became a li- not a liability. Maybe I'm being harsh, but it, it summed up, like you said, there a complete lack of fullback cover, right? That Angel Rangel was then being relied upon yeah. to step in yeah. you know, when there was an injury or suspension. And I felt sorry for him because he goes out now on Sunday with a relegation against his name. And on the back of a couple of pretty ropey seasons, yeah. you know, and and yes, it would have been ruthless. But you know, if you had a clear thinking, the way the way you would have done it would have been to end his career a couple of years ago at Swansea in the nicest possible way. He was getting contract extension after contract extension, a year here, a year there, and then in the end, right, we're left on our books. Not just him, Wayne Routledge, another one, Nathan Dyer, another one. You're left with players who have served you very well, but who could no longer cut it at premiership yeah. level, you know. And like you said, they were they were relied upon almost on the fact that they'd been good servants to Swansea. Yeah. It's a cutthroat world of premiership, you know that. You know, good servants don't keep you in the top yeah. flight, you know. And there needs to be a clear out. It has to be ruthless, I'm afraid, and that means people who have served us so well no, in league, in the championship, even in League One. But it has to happen now before this rut continues. Yeah, I, it remind me of a story I heard years ago about uh, Rude Hullet coming into Newcastle where he gave a few people contracts who didn't deserve contracts just because yeah. 
they were on his side. And I kind of felt like, because he's obviously a very good professional or whatever, you've had such a chopping and changing of managers recently. People have thought, I need someone like this in the dressing room who's going yeah. to go to the players yeah. and back me up and say, what you know, repeat what I'm saying and get people going. It kind of stunk, stunk is the wrong word, I guess, but it kind of really stuck in my mind that, that I felt like he'd been given one almost as a, as a player coach, really, to be someone's mate, because he wasn't getting much game time. Um, and it, the, the game time he got, he wasn't serving a huge purpose. Um, no. And perhaps you could even say the same about Dyer and Routledge to an extent. Maybe they were in there because people thought they were reliable and they'd be good lads in the dressing room, but don't ultimately offer you anything on the pitch. We've talked about, obviously, the, the squad um, and the, the lack of quality through the playing squad. We've also touched on the fact that Sigerson left the day before the season started. How much blame for a consequence of what's happened do you blame on the owners and the, and the way they've kind of handled different aspects through the season? You know, look, I, I've always been one to be cautious on this aspect. You know, and I don't mean this patronisingly, you know yourself as a Newcastle fan, that when things go wrong at a club, I do feel in this day and age, a lot of the time, the automatic reaction of the fans is to go for the board yeah. and the chairman. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's done without thinking, it's a knee-jerk reaction. But in this situation, I think what was promised from that takeover compared to what's been delivered has been so far apart, I understand the fans' anger. Um, you can't completely blame the two American guys, Levine and Kaplan, who have come in because the downward spiral started before that. Absolutely. Right? We've, got to, we've got to have that in, in mind and in, and in context. And, and people would be well to remember the context in which they came in. But since they have come in, things have deteriorated badly on and off the field. There was no consultation with the Swansea Trust, which was which was almost criminal given what's gone before in the club. The the money, everything for the the broad the Bob Bradley appointment, the money hasn't been put in. The money that's come in from transfers, we're not seeing it. And you know how aware that people outside of Swansea are over this. I, I I'm not sure, but there have been little issues this year which which have really left a sour taste in the mouth. And you're talking minor things, but you're talking things like booking fees. You know, they started this season without an announcement putting a booking fee on every single ticket. Yeah. So, you know, you booked five tickets for, to go and watch Swansea. Each of those tickets had a booking fee. That never happened before. You had disabled supporters who'd been long-term there suddenly having to resubmit documentation just to prove they had access to take a, free, a carer along with them who goes in for free. It all, pointed, it all pointed towards penny-pinching, yeah. you know? It, it all pointed towards trying to strip every single penny out of the fans they possibly could. It's... And again, you talk, you know, when clubs hit, hit problems and you have people at the helm, and this is where, you know, I'll always perhaps speak up for the likes of maybe Bill Kenwright, who's been at Everton, or Dave Whelan at Wigan, you know. Yeah. Yes, they've made mistakes over the years, every chairman does. But you're talking people like that who the fans at least know love the club, right? They might not get everything right, but they're football men and they've got the club at heart. Yeah. You've got Americans there at the moment who are clearly not football men. Yeah. They're businessmen, you know, and the business botched businessmen in terms of Swansea concerned at this point. They don't have the club at heart. Their silence has been deafening in the last few months. There's been no statement other than a few lines that came out with a very half-hearted apology after Sunday. And they're nowhere to be seen. And I can fully understand how the fans have turned, you know, and it's it's... It's been a mistake from Hugh Jenkins. It's, you know, it would have been inconceivable a few years ago, as you know, that any Swansea fan would fall for the head of Hugh Jenkins. But he has made a bad mistake there. I don't go down the line 
that he was he was she agreed. Um, I don't think he has that in him. I think people would do well to remember what he has done for Swansea up to this point. But I think he saw an opportunity to almost take a step back. He felt he'd gone as far as he could, and he then rushed a get-out way, yeah. almost in my sense. And and he rushed it, and it was completely bizarre to alienate the Swansea trust. You know, the, the very trust that had stood by him and had helped him. You know, during the post Tony Petty era, when the club needed saving, and unfortunately, he's got this. In terms of who he sold the club to, he's got this very, very wrong. Um, I'd suggest he's taken the club as far as he could, and his position is now probably untenable. You know, and it hurts me as a fan and as a Swansea journalist to say that. You know, there went years I'd never have a bad word to say about Hugh Jenkins, but this has really ripped the heart out of the club. And yeah. as you know, you know, unless things pick up on the field next season, which I can't see happening, the anger will only keep going. It'll keep going, and you have you have another Sunderland on your hands. You know, so I I think a lot of swift action needs to be taken this summer, it needs to be taken with Hugh Jenkins's position, it needs to be taken by the owners and it needs to be taken with the players and it needs to be done quickly and decisively this summer before this rumbles on and we start next season with the same chaos that we ended this one. No, I totally agree, I mean you, you've mentioned the summer there, so one of the last things I want to talk about really is is how do we, where do we go from here, I mean obviously you need a new manager, obviously you need basically an overhaul of a lot of the playing squad um, so my first big question is talking about the playing squad, who do you think is going to go? Well, obviously, we, we touched upon um, Rangel and Britain, although Britain will stay on at the club in an ambassador role, but his yeah. phase is gone. Keyson Young has already left. Um, it's inevitable Lucas Fabianski will leave, probably one of the few, if the only Swansea player who walks off with his head held high this season. You know, yeah. and his tears on Sunday were particularly hard to bear. I was going to say his reaction, there was yeah. one man who had given all, you know, and the fans, I think, associated with that, you know, and, and Alfie Mawson, you know, I flattered to deceive at times this season, but he is a talent, and I think just the fact that he has been mentioned in, you know, in the potential England player, I think a Premiership side will probably come in for him. I think so. Um, Federico Fernandez again, he, you know, had flicked in and out of the Argentinian squad. If he wanted to keep playing at international level, you wouldn't have thought he'd come into the Championship. Mm -hmm. Tammy Abraham will go back to Chelsea. And then you've got um, Andre Ayew. Now, Andre Ayew arrived back in January, but he's on big wages. Whether the club can afford him to carry him in the Championship and whether he wants yeah. to play in the Championship, he's not the sort of character to uh, to knuckle down in that sense, I don't think. So I imagine he'll go as well. So I think there will be a clear out, as well as the names you've already mentioned, the likes of Dyer, the likes of Routledge, who have in the nicest possible way have gone past their sell-by need now yeah. as well. You know? Where the problem comes then is who you bring in. You know, there are quick fixes out there. We've, no. <laughs> we've gone down that road, you know. And I think, and again, what, what, over, what gets overlooked a lot is there, there's been a lot of talent at Swansea in the last few years. Young talent that's come up, which has been shipped out on loan in favour of these so-called quick fixes and hasn't had a look in. And maybe now's the time that we see them. Especially yeah. in the championship. You've got Oliver McBurney. Yeah, you know, and he's done great he's at Barnsley, isn't he, since he's gone there? Great at Barnsley. He's proven it he's proven in the in the championship. You know, he hasn't had a look in at Swansea yet. He'll be coming back to us this summer. You know, could we do worse than than him? You know, I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against giving McBurney a run. You've got people like Jay Fulton, you know, tipped for big things at Swansea, shipped out to Wigan on loan. He's yeah. due to come back. Matt Grimes, Matt Grimes arrived from Exeter under Gary Monk, apparently, you know, one of England's brightest young talents. He's been on loan at Northampton all year. 
why don't we see him? Yeah. Joe Rodon, who, as you know, he's been loaned out to Cheltenham, named in Ryan Giggs' Welsh squad yesterday. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I know that's an experimental squad, but Ryan Giggs has obviously seen something in him. You know? So if we really are, I, I, I don't think returning to the Swansea way happens overnight. I think that's a pretty far-fetched dream, you know, to think that we can click our fingers and go back to that. But we need to go back to some way of clear direction and clear thinking, you know? And if that means bringing in our own talent, playing our own talent, giving it a chance, you know, in in the championship, then so be it. I would much rather that than see us go through this mishmash process again of signing two or three names for each position without any real thought, just simply doing it to appease fans and to put a squad together. I think you mentioned Sunderland earlier. That's exactly what they did this season. They try to buy a few names and try to basically spend their way through in the hope that they would go back up and obviously got it completely and utterly wrong and that's my worry for, for Swansea one of the names you, you, you didn't mention there that I would love to see more of as well is Connor Roberts who looks a really promising yeah. young player um, and again I, I just feel like a lot of the names you mentioned there were names I was going to say too of people who have proved themselves elsewhere to an extent and would be yeah. a perfect fit, I think, to Swansea. Again, not necessarily to go back to the Swansea way, but to have some sort of semblance, semblance sorry, of, of what made Swansea great in the first place, which was having a good core of young players who you know, met the club, meant something to them, and they kind of, you know, it mattered to them what happened to the club. <coughs> and I think that that is the real thing that Swansea needs to go back to now, as you, as you rightly say, is getting these young players in, getting them playing again, you know, you look at Ollie McBurney, I remember you played, I think it was Liverpool away, um, where he, he started, I think maybe it was a cup game or something, I can't, I can't remember, but I remember him playing and thinking, like, he looked a real handful. Big, strong lad, yeah. he, was, he was mobile, he won a lot in the air, and I think in the Championship, I remember when Newcastle went down years ago and Andy Carroll got his first run in the team, he reminded me a lot of that, where he was big, strong, physical, won, in, won a lot in the air, and, you know, he made a lot of himself that season, Andy Carroll, and I really see... McBurney having the same sort of opportunity next year. I hope to see that anyway. Yes, and this again, this was again another example of the, the, the muddled tactical thinking. You had a young striker. If you were going to insist on playing this four-five-one, and you're going to insist on not playing Tammy Abraham, especially after Wilfred Bony was injured, there was a guy who fitted that system. You know, Perfectly. he could hold the ball up. Yeah. He did put himself about in the air. He could bring others into play. He worked hard, and yet then he gets shipped out on loan. Yeah. You know, so I think. And I, and I agree with you. I would like to see more of him. He's a great record for the under twenty threes. Um, you know that doesn't necessarily mean you'll make the step up, but there's certainly potential there. And I think we've seen it at Barnsley. He scored goals for them, and I think it, it's time now to give him a chance at Swansea. No, know? I totally agree. Because um, Swansea is not an attractive proposition right now. You know, you don't you don't look at Swansea go down in the same way you've maybe looked at teams like Aston Villa, for example. Now, okay, it's taken Villa a couple of years to regroup, but you, you looked at Villa and you thought. With their, ne- their their name, you know, and the finances behind them, I don't think it was going to be too long with the right managerial appointment before they came back, you know. Yeah. And you've got someone like Steve Bruce there who will attract names, you know. He's a good manager, especially at that level, yeah. you know. I don't think Swansea have that. There's, there's no obvious appointment who's going to come in. I don't think it would be a big name appointment, you know. And I think it has. To, we do have to go back to being shrewd in the transfer market, I, you know. We haven't got the the carrot of Premiership football just to bring any of boys in at the moment. Yeah. You know that that's gone, and and I think it's a lot harder than when we started out. You know when we first bought this reputation almost as a as a shrewd club in the transfer market, as a clever club, because as you know the market's changed dramatically Massively, yeah. in the last decade, and it's a lot harder. But we have to we have to go back 
to at least being clever about it and not bringing people in unless they're coming in for a specific purpose. I, think you, I totally agree. You, you mentioned Steve Bruce there as, as, a, as someone who could, is a good person to guide you out of the championship and as someone who would probably draw names as well, as he has done with people like John Terry, for example. Um, my final big question is, is who do you see coming into the Swans? Do you think it is going to be uh, a shrewd kind of slightly left field signing or do you think someone like it could be a, a last chance saloon so to speak for someone like Chris Coleman who's obviously a Swansea boy and it would mean a lot to him to, to get that job perhaps the Coleman name is, is, is obviously being linked I think he's the book as of this morning he was the bookmaker's favourite for, for what that's worth yeah um, now my fear about Chris Coleman and I have every respect and time for him as a Welsh football fan you know is that it's an appointment made with heart rather than with head. Um, Coleman, like you say, is a Swansea boy. He put everything into the job. You cannot take away what Coleman did with Wales between 2014 and 16. It'll never be forgotten. You know, we can't. We haven't got time to go into it. <laughs> but other than a good start at Fulham, his club managerial record is not good. You know, and that that's what concerns me. Yeah. You know, and what Coleman did at international level and. Again, this this is by no way detracting from his achievements. Is he managed to get a nation behind him? He managed to get us on a crest of a wave. He had a group of players who were mates. You know, they were all Welsh. They were yeah. all pulling in the same direction. And you know, he rode this wave, and the team and the fans rode with him. You know, now that's that's a different kettle of fish now at club level. You know, um, and he came in the Sunderland job last year. He walked into a. He walked into a mess, yeah. you know, but he didn't make a big impact on it. It has to be said, you know, he, di he didn't really make inroads into turning it around. You know, if if he wanted the job, and um, I think he does become a strong candidate just because of the reasons. But I I do worry about his credentials at club level, you That's know, funny. and I always did after the Wales job as well. Um, so who would you? Who would you? Who would you take instead of Coleman then? If, well, if, who else are you looking at? Again, again, this is a question. To go back to um, something you said there, it is, I think, going to be a left field appointment. You know, I don't think we're um, we're in the market for for, for big names. You know, yeah. banded around today, and I'm just hypothetically more than anything else. You talk, would you bring in someone like Sam Allardyce? We wouldn't afford someone like Sam Allardyce. You know, we wouldn't afford his payoff. You know, if you, yeah, if you have and to I'm here to tell you that'd be a waste of money as well. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, I wouldn't be averse to someone like Graham Potter. It is a gamble, but you're talking a young manager. You're talking a very good student of the game, a thinker. Of course, it's, you know it's a risk. He, he's doing well in Sweden. He's completely improving in England. But yeah. we've taken people completely improving in England before, yeah. and it's worked. That that sort of of character who isn't going to come in with with a big reputation to uphold, almost. You know, someone who come in, someone who needs to be given time. Needs to prove and someone who, you know, can, can almost formulate a plan and be allowed to quietly put his own stamp on things. Yeah. You know, that's what happened with Brendan Rodgers. It happened with Roberto Martinez. Um, but you know, that is again where the pot would want to come. Just yeah. is another thing. But I think that kind of figure, you know, back to what we had before when we appointed Martinez, Souza, Rodgers, Laudrup, then even Monk. There was this philosophy at Swansea that. They went for this specific type of appointment, and it was left field. It was a young manager. It was a point to prove. Yeah. You know, people like that. We've completely gone away from that in the, in the last 
well, the last three, four, five, whatever you want to call it, managerial appointments. So I'd like to see us go back to that rather than what we see as another quick fix. Or, you know, because we've had short-term gambles now. We had him in Carvajal. We had him in Clemens, who originally I thought would come good. We had him in Bob Bradley. And they, it, it hasn't worked. And this, this chaotic situation can't go on any longer, you know. And it yeah, needs to be a well-thought-out appointment, you know. And it needs to be someone who understands the situation, understands the finances and understands what he's coming into, yeah. essentially. I, I think there's an argument for me that the most important decisions and appointments that people make at the head of the season are actually not a huge amount to do with the playing squad or the managerial stuff squad. I think a lot of stuff needs to happen behind the scenes in terms of planning, uh, foresight um, and, and ultimately how you progress as, a, as, a, as, a, as an entity in the future rather than just how are we going to deal with this in the championship? I think everyone from top to bottom needs to really have a look at themselves and see what they need to do to change before you before the, the manager even comes in. I mean, you could get Guardiola to come in, but if everyone around him is a, it's a shambles and you know they're spending money the wrong yeah. way and they're getting rid of the wrong play, keeping the wrong player, sorry, then it just doesn't matter. I think you've got to, the, the most important thing for me, for me, I think, is is honing the structure at the top, as you say, and getting back to to where they were yeah. when when their rise started. Yeah, and, and the difficulty then is, like you say, it's got to come from the top. But does the top then change this summer? You know, yeah. and, and if it does, who comes in? Obviously, we've spoken about Hugh Jenkins' position. Many people see that as untenable. Word from within the club that he does want to stay. Um, we've got this situation with the American owners. How long they'll stay on for? Will they feel they're going to be hounded out of the club? I don't know. Yeah. You know, so there is so much ambiguity still around the club at the moment. And it, what? The way that the club has reacted to relegation as well, it's it's Dave, it's just almost the mess has escalated. Yeah. You know, you have you have within twenty four hours of that of relegation of Huddersfield getting that result at Stamford Bridge, you have two newspapers running exclusives that Carlos Carvajal's contract won't be renewed. You walk into a press conference on Friday and Carlos Carvajal says he knows nothing about it and the owners have inquired about his availability next season. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's got to stop. Even this is being botched. You know, even Everything, like a simple yeah. thing leaks all the time. It's, it's, they have got to somehow get hold of this and get back some kind of organised organized structure in place because it is just complete chaos the noise is coming out from within the club they're all conflicting you know completely conflicting yeah. no one really knows what direction things are being pulled in and this is why there needs to be some brutal and swift action in the weeks that follow this can't continue all summer you know if you let this go on all summer we start next season in a mess, in a mess. you know i don't think there's any question of bouncing back up at this stage next season i think it sadly i think Myself and every other Swansea fan would probably take consolidation now. Yeah, not getting relegated again. Yeah, and simply so. So, you know, yes, we need to bring in a manager, but we also need to be sorted out, like you say, from the top to the very bottom. Yeah. And, and no one should be safe there. That includes players, coaches, what have you. Yeah. Um, to try and finish on a positive note, easier said than done. <laughs> I know this has been almost a therapy session for you, Fraser, so I appreciate it. No, but... You know, there's a lot of inquests going on, you know, and, and, and things do need to come out. So, you know, yeah, it hasn't been a bright week. No, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> seen weird. Yeah. Um, to finish on a positive note, what do you see are or is a positive thing ahead of next season, be it a players you've already got, things that there is something to be optimistic about, there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, well, of course there is. In that we've done it before. 
You know, we, 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 we've battled against the odds before. You know, there's no greater odds against us in 2002, 2003. Yeah. You know, when, when we're two penalty decisions against Hull away from dropping out of the Football League. And, and if we dropped out of the Football League, popular opinion was we were going to fold. Yeah. You know, we've been in worse situations than this. You know, I think, yeah, you know, it's not... It's not an irreversible situation. I, I wrote a column this week where I said that relegation is, is not the end for anyone. It's a necessary evil of football. You know, you, you know that yourself. Yeah, Newcastle absolutely. have had it twice from the Premiership. You know, it's it, anyone. If you're prepared to to do the right things, perhaps stay patient and regroup accordingly, anyone can bounce back from yeah. relegation. You know, so you know, it's it's not. We've had seven years in the Premier League. We're not a club in crisis. You yeah. know what I mean, you look at you look at teams like Portsmouth and so on, and what they've been through in in the last few years. We're a long way from that. So yeah, and like you say, there are young players at Swansea, good young players. Connor Roberts, who you mentioned, just come through. Yeah. McBurney, who we've touched upon. You know, there are players coming through. We're not, you know, we're not scraping the barrel to put a squad out next year. You know, things yeah. things aren't that bad. It just needs now someone to pull it in a in a in the right way and someone everyone to go in a, what is a clear direction yeah. you know but of course yes of course there's still reason to be optimism we still have a, a great what is a great stadium for the championship yeah. you know um we still have talent at our disposal and you know we still have it's inevitable when you go down you do lose a, a bit of your fan base every club knows that yeah. you know success breeds support contempt you know failure breeds contempt yeah. <laughs> we're all aware of that but there is still a very, very passionate, hardcore fan base at Swansea who have seen much tougher times than this, you know, and they will remain. It might not mean 20,500 in Liberty Stadium, you know, every every second week next year, but they will remain. So the core, the core things that you need to bounce back from relegation are there, yeah. you know. It's how we then manage them, you know, and, and that, that is the worry. Yeah. But yes, you know, <laughs> there have been worse times than this at Swansea, exactly. you know, and, and, and we bounce back from them, so... This isn't the end by any means. Exactly. You know, it's the end of the Premier League. But, um, but, and again, I think there are, if you talk to some Swansea fans, no one wanted to go down. And, and spoke to many on Sunday who would begrudgingly admit, and I'm probably one of them, that in a way this is probably good that this has happened now. Because if we hang on this year, we may be hanging on next year again. Eventually, there was going to come a season like Aston Villa had, like Sunderland had, where everything capitulated. Yeah. And when that happens... It's a very, very long way back. It's yeah. still a long way back for us now, but it's not irreversible. I think that is a, as positive a note as we can to end. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Smiled on that one. Exactly. Thank you very much for your time. Um, I very much appreciate it, and hopefully, uh, we'll catch up again soon. So I've just finished my conversation with Fraser, and I'm back now with Ruth at our old location, Costello's Bar in uh, Jamaica Plain. Evening. We have obviously not been here for quite a while due to your broken ankle, so <laughs> it's nice to have some strange looks from regulars in this pub while we're sat here with a microphone and a laptop between us. And now, now crutches and an ankle brace. Exactly. <laughs> Progress. So, um, the conversation with Fraser drew up a lot of interesting points, I thought few things that I wanted to touch on with you that I didn't say in my conversation with him because basically I was riveted by what he was saying. The big thing I wanted to talk about really was how the season kind of progressed. 
I heard a stat the other day that Huddersfield stayed up having scored 28 goals. Yeah. Which, when you look at that, is an astonishing statistic. It makes you think that for all Swansea's lack of firepower, which is definitely a problem, yeah. that maybe it was more than just the obvious stuff that there was a problem. The one that sticks in my mind is the 5-0 beating by Man City toward the end of the season. Because Newcastle got a lot of stick when they played Man City for basically playing for goal difference. And if we drew, it was great. Over the two games against Man City, we basically got a minus three goal difference, which compared to other teams in the Premier League was actually all right. When you look at the Swans, and they have to, on the last day, lose, uh, win by enough and have a ten-goal swing. Through the season, they lost 5-0 to Liverpool and 5-0 to Man City. And the 5-0 one to Man City in particular toward the end of the year, that's one of those ones that really made me think, yes, they didn't score enough goals. No argument. But when you look at those sort of games, those were actually the sort of games, in the end, in a roundabout way, that sort of undid them. Because last day of the season, Southampton, okay, they lost 1-0, 93rd minute goal. But they didn't get hammered. No. Huddersfield drew nil-nil with them. Enough teams around them, and again, I know that's just a one-off example, but you know, got relatively decent things out of those sort of games. Newcastle got a draw with Liverpool at home, didn't get hammered really through the season. And I feel like the how bad the defence was, I think, is ultimately what's really cost them this year. Um, and the fact that they seem to be unable to set up against a, a team like that, other than the, the two games against Arsenal and Liverpool at, at the Liberty. So I just wondered whether whether you thought the same sort of thing. I think I think it's a a perfectly reasonable point because your goal difference by definition is what's happening at both ends of the field. And so you can't just say it's down to scoring or, or conceding, it's gotta be a combination of both. Um, but fundamentally I think they had more problems going forward than they did um, in the defence. I think there just wasn't there just wasn't enough attacking nouns about what they were doing and even like in those last couple of games they were, they were all but playing three up front but there was no, nothing feeding them uh, so I think I think fundamentally I would still sort of vote for that as the as the real issue um, I think the ambition sort of went out of them and Fraser touches on this doesn't he the fact that in that whatever it was, the last nine or ten games, there was just a couple of draws, that was all they managed. When even turning a couple of those into draws, a couple of those defeats into draws, or a, 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 a defeat even into a win, that might well have been enough. And I think they sort of took their eye off the ball almost, ironically. Once they got to that point where they were sort of mid-table, there was about ten days where they oh, were 14th or 14th and I think strangely the urgency went out of them at that point and they and obviously they dropped back it was like they had their, their sort of flare moment almost too soon because then they had to sort of regroup and, and re-evaluate being a, a team in relegation trouble and almost start again with it um, whereas Huddersfield I think just kept chipping away genuinely chipping away all season so they didn't have that kind of the ebb and flow in momentum um, in quite the way the Swans did and I don't think the Swans weathered that well 
those ups and downs. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, to be fair to Huddersfield, I also think they did something that Swans did as well, which is managed to get results at the right time of the yeah. year. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, I, I, I'm not obviously just pointing the, the finger at the, the defence there. Um, but I think the, the defeats at that time of the year, by you know, by that sort of a margin at key times of the year, yeah. are really what's made a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly that level of defeat, when you look at what that was doing to their their goal difference and how key goal difference became, then it does become an issue, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Southampton stayed up by ten goals and scored ten goals more than yeah. the Swans. Um, so. You know, it obviously is a, a big thing. I've got to be honest. In in this sort of con, con, context, I always try and revert things back to Newcastle because obviously they're a part of this. But I remember when we played Southampton toward the end of the season, we beat them 3-0 and they were dreadful. And I know since then they changed manager. And to be fair to Mark Hughes, yep, he's done a good job. credit where it's due, he actually has done a decent job because yep. I thought they were finished. Um, Swansea came and went 1-0 up had the chances to, to beat us that day good old Hossolu scores I mentioned in our chat and, and it makes you I, I, at that time I thought the Swans are definitely safe it's definitely going to be Southampton going down but their last nine games as Frey's uh, reference absolutely killed them yeah. absolutely killed them and went on such a bad run and it's so difficult to point at what can change a season like that from beating Champions League finalists Liverpool to that dreadful run of nine games. I mean, how can the did the manager lose the players? Did they stop believing in what he would do? It? It's just a bizarre circumstance, I think, that ultimately has then led to what happened at the end. Um, one thing you touched on when we were chatting before this was the under-23s for the Swans. Yeah. You're saying that a lot of them have been let well, go or no, looking like they're going to be let go. There was a rumour I was reading on Twitter that quite a lot of them were being let go. I hope if, I think it's just Twitter, as I say, Twitter rumours, because um, that seems incredibly short-sighted when you consider where they'd finished in the in the under 21s league. Uh, sorry, under 23s league. I think they were fourth. Um, you know, ahead of some good, what you'd think of as top yeah. teams. Um, and, and clearly, you look at the likes of, you know, Connor Roberts, who's who's come through. Um, they're doing something right there. They've been doing something right there for a while. Uh, and so I hope that's not the case, because in theory, they've got a good bedrock there to build on. Oh, no doubt. Uh, and I hope that they're not getting so, so kind of, you know, new brooms needs to sweep through that they don't overdo that. I think they need to be mindful of. Um, what they've grown there. I w for just I don't know how it came up, but I was looking at the players that were involved in the Toulon tournament, and I know that's almost two years ago now. But the vast, vast majority were players in the academy system at Swansea and players in the academy system at Harvard. So both of those organisations are doing something right. I know, that's true. Um, and so, you know, just a, a word you know, word of warning really I suppose it was just alarming to see that that might be on the agenda, hopefully it's nothing hopefully it's just a rumour um, but they've got a good a, a good basic core of players there uh, that they have the potential to build from if they're careful I agree, I mean I was I remember talking earlier in the year to 
Josie Wales, who is someone who also in interacts with us on Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know your real name. I should have investigated that before this. But I remember having a good conversation back and forth about how good the 23s have been this year. And at one point, we're actually top of the under-23 league for quite a while through the season. Obviously, people have come through from that, like Connor Roberts and Ollie McBurney uh, this season. So as you say, they're definitely doing something right. So I hope that's not the case. The only thing I said to you before we started recording was maybe it's a case of we're not sure about you, 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 you. Do you know what? We're starting again. And I, that would be a bit of a sweeping thing to do, and it wouldn't be the most intelligent thing to do. That's the only thing I could think of off the top of my head to yeah. kind of to justify, if you like, what they've done. One of the big things I think Fraser and I didn't talk too much about, because I felt like he was going to cry at that point, <laughs> was when we started talking about managers for next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you've got a suggestion. Yep. I actually thought his suggestion was interesting. Yeah, I think very good. Graham Potter's got a, he's, I mean, when you look at what he's done in Sweden, it's a very Swansea-type story when you look at what they've yeah, achieved over the there. Tier. Yeah, So, um, you know, I think there might be some real merit in that, actually. The other person I was going to sort of throw the hat in was Yap Stam, who was obviously doing something really well at Reading. The wheels came off this season. I don't know enough about that to sort of give an explanation of what happened. Um, but there was something about his capacity to draw out good skill out of those players that, you know, we'd be ready to bracket as your sort of average championship team, and yet they were playing really pretty yeah. nice football till maybe six, seven months ago. Um, and so I wonder whether, in, in the sense of trying to look for someone that matches the, this idea of the Swansea way, he might not be a good, a good option. I think the Swansea way may have gone. I think I personally but, think that ship has sailed now. But equally, they they got where they got because they had a a format, and it didn't wouldn't necessarily have to be the flowing uh, flowing football that we were used to seeing. But I think with the rate of turnover of managers, there's our fire engine. Hey. With the rate of turnover of managers in clubs these days, there has to be some kind of rationale for what your organisation is so that you don't keep hitting this, well, that player doesn't match that manager and that yeah. player doesn't match that manager. You've got to have a rationale of what you're trying to put on the field. Um, and, so, and I think I think Sam might fit what Swansea, what Swansea have. Um, but what's your ideas? I just, just quickly on the Stam thing, I, there's two things I want to add there to, to what you said. One is, I remember listening to an interview by Chris Gunter, I think with Owen oh, Turner-Jones, yeah. who said, aside from Coleman, he's the best manager he's ever had in terms of his methods and everything. So maybe that would be something. The one thing I will say is, he also did lose that dressing room in yeah. some way. And I feel like Swansea need to be a bit more adventurous than, mm -hmm. than someone like that. Um, the other thing I will add that you, you touched upon there about the setup of that player doesn't work for that manager. I remember reading an article about Watford earlier in the season, who basically the person who is the constant is like their managing director sort of thing, the CEO, and it's not looked at on a as a footballing perspective necessarily. When they hire a manager, they have a choice of three managers, and 
person is the person who, who plays the kind of football they play. So every player they buy already fits that mould. Their yeah. manager, to in all intents and purposes, doesn't really have much to do with it. So that if the manager goes, they've still got the right sort of player. Yeah. And once they appoint a manager, yeah. they line up on in their head, sort of thing, another two or three or four managers. So if this guy leaves or someone else comes in, they don't need to dilly-dally, they're not starting this whole process again. You're playing this style of football, you're playing this style of football. Those are our choices, who are we getting in? And I feel like that's something that Swansea have done in the past. Mm -hmm. And as they, as they go down to the next level in the championship, maybe that's something they, if they want to go back to the Swansea way, which, as I said, I do think is kind of gone, but they can certainly rebuild that. But they have to have the whole structure reshaped above it. Um, to answer your question about the manager, I, and I'm not saying this is the person that I would go for, but that sort of person to kind of build them back up again, maybe someone with a bit more experience, but the, the Cowley brothers who were at Lincoln, again, I've talked about it before, being you know someone who's a little bit left field, yep. those two have done a great job there, they do play good football, mm -hmm. he has been successful, they're very modern and forward thinking, again, I don't want anyone tweeting me, I'm not having <laughs> another repeat of the... <laughs> of the race course saga <laughs> but my point is more it's that sort of person again the, you know Potter that Fraser mentioned it's that sort of person who I think they should be looking through the leagues for a little bit or or slightly left field foreign appointments yeah. like some of that in my opinion rather than someone like Yapstam who was maybe other things but the only other person I thought and this I, d I don't know where Frank De Boer is now after his <laughs> Crystal Palace debacle, yeah. but they were very much playing square pegs round holes there, and they were trying to play champagne football. It's basically Sam Allardyce's squad yeah. trying to play like 1970s <laughs> Brazil, and it's you know, as a detractor of Sam Allardyce, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that's not going to work. So, someone like that, I think maybe who has got a point to prove, who has done well and can play good football, as they have proven in their past, as long yeah. as they've got the players. And again, I'm not suggesting that either of those two appointments are the, are the right one. I think it would be a lovely story if Chris Coleman got the job. And it pains me to say it, but I just don't think for a club like Swansea who've just come down, they can... That's a hell of a risk. Yeah. I think he'd be on a bit of a hide to nothing as well, wouldn't he? Perhaps. Um, I think he needs, he needs something with a bit of distance. But if it worked for him, the one the, the, the flip side of that is, Fraser talked about harnessing the city and yeah. harnessing the club again. Someone like that would do that. And I think if he did turn that around, and I mean, that'd be a hell of a story, wouldn't it? You know, the Swansea boy who saved his hometown club, that'd be a, a wonderful story. <laughs> so I do think there is merit to it, but I feel like that's almost a bigger gamble than the Cowley brothers, to be perfectly honest. He's always been quite adamant that he wouldn't take it because of the proximity to home. And whether that changes, given what's been going on... got to be honest, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> As they stand, you get what you're yeah. given. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad way, because I absolutely love Chris Coleman. But I think at this stage of his game, do you know what, if Swansea came calling... If, you, if you're daft enough to take the Mackham's job, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, 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 think, I, I think you can't walk away from that challenge. The one thing I don't want to see him do is look at someone like David Moyes or Sam Allardyce, those sort of, if they get Alan Pardews, I'll do everyone a favour and go and burn down the Liberty <laughs> tomorrow. That actually happens. I didn't do it. Um, but I, 
the, the, the last thing they need yeah. is to go and make some sort of bloody ridiculous appointment, which is just not going to help. The last thing I want to talk about briefly with the Swans is, is the players who have been there for a while. Mm-hmm. I think Angel Rangel obviously deserves a lot of credit. He's come in, he's made himself a legend at that yeah. club. And I think whilst he's not had a huge contribution on, as a playing member this year, I do think his contribution should be recognised in terms of pretty much solely that, that game against Watford where he scored a late goal and that was the thing that got Swansea on that run really yeah. so he had he has played a part this year but the biggest one for me was Leon Britton I, I watched the game the other morning and as Fraser has alluded to I am well aware of that feeling <laughs> and w- watching your players and your heroes walk around the pitch clapping and sort of not being that arsed really yeah. as a lot of the Swans players did i got to say but seeing people like Rangel uh, but most obviously most notably sorry Leon Britton in absolute floods yeah. what that guy has done for that football club and what he's been a part of at that football club deserves huge credit yeah. and huge recognition and uh, he will go down as one of Swansea's greatest ever players and uh, undeservedly so so I know he's got like an ambassadorial role yeah. at the club now. He even stepped in to be the manager for a couple of weeks as well, which, I mean, I, that can't have been easy. <laughs> so uh, if you're listening, Leon, <laughs> congratulations. Have you got anything else you want to add on no, this No, I just wanted to say, on, on that theme, I mean, his story is one of those, if it was a movie, you'd, you'd think it was far-fetched, wouldn't you? I mean, just such, such a servant to that that club, that community as well, really. He's just, he's like the lifeblood there at the minute, isn't he? So it'll be interesting to see how his role develops, actually, because I'm sure it's going to eventually be more than an ab- ambassadorial role. So that'll be an interesting story again, actually. Can I uh, just go on a slight rant to finish? Ooh. I do want to finish on a positive. <laughs> what I, I hate about modern football is that the attitude of players, a lot of players these days is I'll get another go I'll get another gig, I'll get another move, I'll get another job, someone will pay me somewhere. And I will say that watching the players walk off the pitch, there's a lot of people who trooped around, did the obligatory clapping of the crowd. There was a there was some of them, Lucas Fabianski, it was tough to watch. Like I was touched by it. But I also think that these players forget the real impact that their football club and their and and their stadium and everything that goes with it have on their local community and the money that's lost from it and all that sort of stuff. And because of that, it's not just their fault, but I really, really hope that the new, that the, that the owners, and again, like Frey said, it has been worse than this, don't get me wrong, but I really, really hope the owners do the right thing. I would hate for them to slip through the leagues waste the opportunity they've got, waste the stadium they've got, waste the players they've yeah. got. Waste the parachutes. Yeah, waste <laughs> the profile they've got. You know, yeah. the, the things that could go wrong from this point onwards are enormous. And I would be devastated and furious if that happened. And, I, and I'm not a Swans fan, but I, I'm sure there's many people who listen who, who, who would obviously feel the same. What people who come into football clubs and own football clubs don't understand is it's not about making money. Fraser talked about the booking fees and all that sort of thing it isn't about making money you might make money off it someday 
you're servicing and representing a whole community. You know, in Swansea's case, a, a nation to an extent. I'm sure Cardiff fans have just vomited, <laughs> but and in the same way, Cardiff carry that yeah. same thing in the Premier League next year. They are representing a nation, and be it that your, your city or your region, you know. And I do think it's different with London clubs because there's so many of them. Uh, but regions, and I will use Sunderland to avoid the, the case of bias, that has been a big negative impact yep. on their community going down. And so many people have lost jobs. Um, since Mike Ashley's coming to Newcastle, around about a thousand people have lost their jobs. That's how much he's cut the staff at that football club. Like that, that's a lot of people. Yep. That's a big impact on a community. And I really hope the Swans don't go down that road because they need to understand what a responsibility they've got to their community, to their area, and in, in Swansea's case, to an extent, Wales, South Wales, certainly, and that is my rant over. Okay. So I apologise. I'm not sorry, actually. I don't apologise. So good luck to the Swans next year in the Championship. I hope they don't do what I'm worried they're going to do, which is slip through the divisions a bit. And... To echo what Fraser said, to finish on a positive note, things really have been worse, a damn sight worse. So this is not the end of the road by any way, and I hope, beyond hope, that next year we will have a South Wales derby in the Premier League, and I hope that the owners do what they're supposed to do. They do this properly. Moving on. Dry the, ti- dry the tears from <laughs> your eyes, listeners. Um, moving on to... Wales. We are playing Mexico in a couple of weeks. We have recently announced our squad. Brian Giggs has just announced the squad. Very big squad. I think it's 35-man squad. Lots of young players in it. Notable absentees, obviously, being Bale, Woodburn, Allen, amongst one or two others. What do you think on the squad he's, he's, he's selected, and, and what do you think will actually end up travelling to, to Mexico? Well, to California, sorry, to play Mexico. I think it, I mean, it was clear that this was always going to be a denuded squad for, for various reasons, whether it was people that needed TLC at the end of the season or you know, playoff games and that sort of thing. So I think it was always going to be a somewhat um, Wales B squad. Yeah. Um, I missed out James Chester, sorry on that yeah. list. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think in that regard, the, the, the sort of backbone of the squad is what you'd expect. Um, it's pleasing to see... You know Davies and Ramsey and people like that getting, you know, being at least called up. Um, I think the the idea of take, you know, maybe even taking slightly more across there and turning it into a a, a training camp. I think it's really good. They're going to be doing that day in Wrexham on Monday, which we'll talk about a bit more, I'm sure, and then fly out and have the best part of a week in California and turn it more into a training camp that culminates in a game. So I think on that basis it's important to take some of those under-23s and the wider sort of what might be more fringe pus players. Uh, I think there's some interesting selections. I think, um, you know, there's the people that you would expect to see on there, given who they took to China, like Declan John and and Connor Roberts. Um, And then... The one I'm most interested, I'd like, I'd like to see playing, given opportunities, is um, is Matt Smith, who's playing up at, at Manchester City. Um, he's he's only um, 18, 
but he's been playing in their under-23s, which when you consider the squad they must have up there, that says something Absolutely. in itself, doesn't yeah. it? Um, he's, he's, um, I think he's captained our under-17s previously. He's, play, he's certainly played in our under-21s, even though he's, he's only 18. And um, I think he might be an interesting partner to in the future to, to Joe Allen in that slightly more defensive midfield role. Potentially, that's, that seems to be his area. Um, but so th I, th I think, in terms of the players we've not seen before really playing, playing for Wales, he might be the one that I want to keep an eye on over the next 10 days. No, that's fair. I, um, I will also make a point, uh, a nod at this point to Ryan Giggs. We were fairly sceptical and cynical about how he would develop the younger players. We were also fairly sceptical and cynical about how he would approach being Wales manager. He has done a lot of around-the-houses sort of stuff. He's been to the Welsh Cup final, like Ross V. Is that, how you, is that the name of the team he went to the other day that we talked about? Oh, he went up to um, Frosty up near Wrexham. That was a different event. That was. Um, oh yeah, but I mean that's something he's still yeah, been doing. Yeah, yeah. So that was a sort of um, volunteer celebration event, wasn't it? Uh, but he has been doing the kind of grassroots stuff. So I do think he deserves massive credit for that. Because a lot of people threw something like stuff like that at him. Equally, a lot of people thought he would just be very first team centric, us included. <laughs> and he's proven us wrong. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the names that are on that on that list you've got here, um, when you look at names like Luke Pilly, for example, yeah. it shows he's got a real depth and breadth of knowledge, and he's he really has done his homework. And I know he's you know not from not totally a left field selection, but he's certainly not someone I would have expected to be called up uh, for a game like this. So I also do think Giggs deserves a bit of credit and deserves a, a nod in the right direction. So that we can, you know, everyone who's wanted to be critical of him, myself included, I think he does deserve credit when he does the things we, we thought he wouldn't do. One of the things I was conscious of with gigs and I felt was a weakness was the sort of orator role and his ability to um, verbally lead a group. Uh, and I think. I very deliberately didn't watch that video that was going round of his of that game from with Manchester United, where yeah. because I just thought I'd cry if I saw that. Um, but can I just say that over the course of the various press conferences and the interviews and things, just in the four months since he got the role, I think I think it's clearly something he's been working on and addressing. And how how does he talk to the media? How can he do it in a way that sounds Confident, but at ease. Um, that is that is easy and comfortable, and not not got a sort of edge to it. And I th and I think that's really developing. And I think that's one of the things that he needs to be praised for. No, I, I agree. I think he's seems a lot more comfortable in that role all of a sudden. And yeah, I think maybe he's got used to being around and about people a lot more. And as I say, he feels a lot more comfortable. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. There's two things happening in the next, just in the in the current four or five days, like this squad that they've been running at, at Celtic Manor for the, like I've, I christened them the Younguns. I'm not quite sure what yeah. else to call it. Um, so they've had two 
two days there. Um, and I think that's a real step for, you know, to, for him to be working with Paige and Oshin Roberts and looking at those lads. And some of them are clearly, they're there already. Harry Wilson, for example, is there already. But there's others that, you know, are on the up. Um, and it's, and I think, I think it's very important to give that message to them as well that you know you're the first team manager is looking at what yeah. you're doing and is engaged by what you're you doing. are part of this. Yeah, yeah. And then I think also this this day in Wrexham on on Monday. I mean, we, in our last podcast was exactly what we talked about, wasn't it? Was taking an opportunity to do some squad training up in, in North Wales, and suddenly here it is. The FAW must be listening. <laughs> Giggs I'm is one of sure, our listeners. I'm not sure that's We've quite got Giggs, the case. Rafa Benitez <laughs> But um, you look at the enthusiasm. I mean, I know FA Wales was saying that they've already got something like 2,000 kids, schools that account oh, for really? about 2,000 kids oh, going. I know um, Phil said was saying that his lad, his school is going across from Bangor, and that's you know that's a good. 90 minute two hour journey just to get there to go and watch lads run around on a, on a green pitch you know so I think it's a very um, tangible demonstration of the interest from North Wales that they're going to get that many people out on a, a Monday you know uh, a Monday school day during the day I think I think it's a real opportunity actually for us dogs to make a statement in terms of wanting that level of involvement with team, so I, I hope we manage to get decent crowds. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure, I, there's no doubt to me that it's a very intelligent ploy, I thought, doing it on a Monday, getting close to the summer holidays, I mean, I'd have a cough that day if, I, <laughs> <laughs> if we were back at home. Um, yeah, so again, we've said it all year, credit to the FAW, they are continually doing the right things, um, and it is, it's great. While we're talking about that, since we last spoke, it's been confirmed that we're off to the Millennium for the Spain game. That was still that was conjecture last time we spoke. Um, in in a recent blog post, I, I, I looked at some numbers from some of our recent friendlies, and our, our biggest crowd was actually against the Dutch, and it, it was twenty just under twenty six thousand. And admittedly, they're not the draw that Spain are. I'm not going to try and pretend they are at the minute. But it, the timing was such that we'd just qualified for the Euros. It was about a month after we'd... No, not actually, not a month after we qualified. A month after the qualifiers finished. Right. And we um, we played the Dutch. And like I said, got about 26,000 at the CCS. And so I think this idea that somehow we're going to be rocking the Millennium Stadium with close to 70,000, particularly on a Thursday evening, I think there might actually be a rude awakening there. And maybe that's what's needed. Maybe it needs, you know, people need yeah. to step back and actually say that that didn't work. I personally think, because it's Spain, I think a lot of Johnny Cumberlakes will go to that game. People aren't Wales fans, you probably aren't even Spain fans. Um, people will go because you've got yeah. Such a big number yeah. of players who they want to go, yeah. go and see. Um, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be seventy thousand. The only issue I have at this point, I guess, is that I, I hope that it doesn't end up being a big enough crowd that makes them think we've made enough money. Oh, this is worth it. Yeah. And uh, if you get even if you get fifty thousand, 
There's still 20,000 empty seats. Yeah. That's a huge amount. The other thing I will say is, I really, really hope they do this in a sensible way and they don't sell 25 quid sat on the roof, <laughs> 35 quid sat at the front of the top tier, 40 quid in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If they're going to do this and to prove a point, they have got to be nigh on giving away tickets for this. That no one should be paying more than 25 quid to go and watch this football match. If they want to get bums on seats, which has always been my argument for this, that they want to get young people involved in watching Wales. If that's the case, then they do have to be proactive in that. If they start charging 35 quid a ticket, instantly they've done it wrong. But I think you're right. I, I don't think they're going to get 50,000. I mean, you're essentially doubling the amount of interest in the in the game from uh, yeah. from that Holland game you talked about, where we were very much on the crest of a wave. And I really, really hope that this is the shot in the arm that the FAW need to say we're all right. They did all. They have also recently announced, as we said, that the competitive games will be held at Cardiff City Stadium. So that is what we wanted to hear. The only thing that I worried about with that was there was a little asterisk almost, and it said, where available. And it did make me, there was a little alarm bell that went <laughs> off that said, what if, you know, they want to, you know, we're playing the last game of a qualifier group, we've got to win. Hang on. <laughs> Quid to be made here, lads. Yeah, and suddenly Cardiff under-21s have got a game yeah, at <laughs> the CCS. That's been moved to CCS. Yeah. I don't think they would be that cynical, and I hope they wouldn't, but it, it's just one of those things because they're starting this process. There was a little alarm bell that went off in my head, subject to availability <laughs> sort of thing, and it worried me. But do you know what? As we said in our last podcast, I think they have earned our trust. If they tell us this is going to be a one-off, yeah. to all intents and purposes, then I think we've got to take them at face value. Because what they, the work they've done over the last few years has been fantastic and they deserve our trust in my opinion yep agree with that looking at the game itself in Mexico I think we are going to play quite an experimental team like that and I think it's going to be heavily reliant on people like Harry Wilson as always a seamless link there <laughs> do you think he's going to stay at Liverpool next year or do you think he's going to given what's happened to him this year he's going to seek opportunities Ooh. elsewhere you know, I hadn't particular. I think I'd assumed he was staying. Um, I do think it interesting that with them going off to Kiev, Woodburn is being kept, as it were, and Wilson isn't. I think that's interesting. I think. I mean, I was assuming he wouldn't be available, not particularly obviously because I expected him to be involved in Kiev, but I would have thought Liverpool would be looking to expose. The, what they might think of as their cream of their younger players to the experience of being at Kiev and the experience of being involved with that game. Can I just um, add to that, sorry? It's interesting because I remember seeing the photo after the Roma away leg of all the Liverpool players in the dressing room celebrating and Ben, Wood, ben Woodburn sorry, was bang in the middle of that, mm -hmm. you know, jumping around yeah. with everyone and that really resonated with me and I bet Harry, there's maybe part of Harry Wilson thinking... I'm just not part of that anymore. Yeah, yeah. And whether I mean whether the you know this this experience with Holland's enough for him to sort of nudge that nudge that door a bit. Um, I mean, if he's not going to be 
if he doesn't feel that there's a, a route and he's not part of Liverpool's plan, then, then clearly he's got to find a different, a different avenue. Um, but equally, I think he might be at a point where he wants to kind of leverage what he achieved at Hull and see what, see what it is for Liverpool. Maybe that might be something that he's looking at in January rather than the summer. If, if something doesn't, if there's no give in the, in the autumn, maybe it's a January move rather than the summer move. Because right at the minute, he should, he should be kind of flexing his muscles on what he was producing in Hull and say, look, like, you know, give me a chance, give me an opportunity. I hope he goes somewhere in, in the summer. I think you may be right. I just think it's more likely to be a January thing than a summer thing. I think there will be a lot of championship teams looking at him. And do you know what? If I was Cardiff City right now, not Wolves, because they've got enough. Yeah, they're well honest. served. Yeah. Equally, if I'm one of the teams who are looking at coming up, I know it's either going to be Fulham or Villa at the point of recording. I'd be tempted to have a look at him. And if I was someone like Huddersfield, Brighton, someone in the lower reach of the Premier League, again, I think the sort of player just think, John, we could have a gamble on him. Might unlock a few doors for us. Yeah. I think he's... I worry that if he doesn't go somewhere in the summer, the momentum of what he did at Hull will be wasted. Yeah. And he's almost back to square one. I don't disagree with that, but he's persevered at Liverpool for so long, I wonder whether he's hoping that what he did at Hull might be enough to get him somewhere. It just, you just don't see where the spaces are in Liverpool. No. Never mind in the team, in the squad. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to be playing. It would appear he's behind Woodburn in the pecking order, and then ahead of him, the, the depth and breadth of talent they've got. And you're, going to, you're assuming they're going to spend in the summer. I just don't see where he fits in. Speaking of players who we don't want to be playing in the championship next year, <laughs> Joe Allen. There's been a link with Sevilla yep. in, the, in the papers. I've seen a couple of sources seems to be doing the rounds. I'm, I'm in two minds. Part of me would love that to be true because I think that would be a great place for him to play football. Sevilla got to their FA Cup final basically this year uh, I've had a good run in the Champions League they beat Man United decent run in the league I've tailed off toward the end of the year to be fair but I would see that as a decent yeah. move for them it would curtail his move to Newcastle <laughs> uh, which I've been championing for quite a while I, I do you actually, see that as a good move? I actually I agree about the severe move but I actually for all your bias I actually think Newcastle would be a Come on, come on, admit, Max. I have to admit that, and it's not often. You know me; it's not often I'll wave that flag for you. But you look at what Rafa's doing there, and I think there's a wide, there's more of a wider question about the stability of that. Um, but I think actually, and we've touched on it before. I think he'd be. They would adore him up there. I think it just fits fits with the kind of um, zeitgeist of that that club so well that I think it would be a brilliant move for him. But I like the severe one as well. I think that's for the reasons you said, I think that's got a lot of a lot of merit to it. And I think the um, for all the kind of energy that the Spanish League has, it's just not as hard 
I think, as, as the Premier League in terms of what you're experiencing week on week yeah. on week. And I, and I think as a, as, a, as a Welsh fan, and we keep coming back to the fact that there's got to come a day when we actually have the three of them on the field at the same time, that if we can, if we can find a way to cotton wool um, Bale and Ramsey and Allen a little bit, then that's in our interest. And I think the Sevilla move might help that aspect in a way perhaps that the Newcastle move would. Yeah, because he, he would play every week for them, and I can't imagine he'd be stretched every week, whereas in, in Newcastle he would be pivotal for us or for any sort of club, as he has been for Stoke this year. The reason I, I, other than my bias, the reason the Newcastle move I think would be good for him is, as you say, he's the sort of player who would be adored at Newcastle. Like, his work rate, what he can do, little partner for Joe, uh, for John Joe Shelby. I think that'd be a good move for him. Oh, Alan's come to join us. Hello. <laughs> Where do you think Joe Allen should go next season? <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> Just to finish off, I think it'd be remiss of us not to say something about Cardiff City. We finally got a prediction correct. <laughs> was that the one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the one, even though it was pretty much home and dry. They didn't exactly set the world alight against Reading on the last day of the season, but did what they had to do. Great scenes at the Cardiff City <laughs> Stadium. Uh, big congratulations to Neil Warnock, who I think it was his eighth or his ninth promotion. That's an incredible achievement, absolutely incredible achievement, and I think the whole squad and the team deserve credit. The one person I'm going to say deserves credit, and I'll tin hat back on, is Vincent Tan. Since he ballsed up with the red shirt thing, he has done a lot of things right. Admittedly, getting his security staff to carry him shoulder high onto the pitch <laughs> at the end of the game, he's not on that list. But I think he has done a lot of things right. I think he has backed his manager. I think he has got the right man for the job. I think he has stayed out of the limelight. He's recognised he's made a mistake. I'm not suggesting he's a great guy. But all in all, I think he deserves to deserve some credit. Yeah, I think he's learned to step back, which is actually what you want, really, isn't it, from an owner. You want someone who cares but doesn't interfere. Exactly. And, it, and it clearly got to the point where he was interfering, and he seems to have learned to step back from that. Uh, so I, I can't disagree with that. And I would say Warnock is probably a big part of that as well. He's a very all-controlling yeah. sort of character. Yeah, I mean, Warnock is not going to have an interfering sort yeah. of uh, chairman above him, is he? He's, he's, he's controlling the whole club yeah. at that point. Um, and it, it's, it's what they needed, clearly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, the added kind of dimensions and pressures of the, of the Premiership play out yeah. there. It's an interesting case study really, isn't it, of someone who is clearly very good at getting championship teams up into the premiership, but not so good at, at building from there. So let's let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean I don't particularly want to end on a negative. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Given all we've done about Swansea as well. I hope Cardiff stay up next year. And do you know what? I think looking at the Premier League, I think they've got a really good chance. Because Huddersfield aren't great. Brighton aren't great. Southampton, I think, will do better next year. Looking at the teams coming up, Fulham, whilst they've been on a great run, they'll have to spend a lot of money. Same for Villa. I think Cardiff, their manner of playing and their... A lot, a lot of people won't fancy playing that. No, I think, I think they probably need to... I mean, yeah. 
you look at what Burnley have done this year, for example, just just be like a hard-working team yeah. and grind out some results. And you don't... I mean, it's demonstrated this season. You don't actually need that many wins, <laughs> ironically, yeah. to be safe. Fewer goals than games, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, you can, do, you can do that. You can grind out a way to stay in this league. So... I mean, hopefully they find that, and then and then just keep building from there. I agree. I think the big thing they have got to get is goals. Kenneth have all sort of dried up toward the end of the year, so that's the thing that I think they really need. And I think they need a proper creative midfielder. I think I've got enough people who run around and kick you, and I think they need someone above and beyond Mendes Lang, who I worry may end up being out of his depth next year. Hoylet an extra body in there to be creative be a threat be someone to bring off the bench as well as a goal scorer no I do think they, they can stay up and I do think they've got a great chance there as long as they do things properly and invest in the right areas so finally this is not even a positive or a negative to end on what do you think the score will be Wales-Mexico oh I'm actually a <laughs> Alan says 6-0 Wales <laughs> I'm, act- I'm actually a bit worried about that game because the Mexi- Mexico are at a different point in the cycle, aren't they? They're, bi- they're building building towards heading off to Russia, so they're in a different place. We're kind of rounding off the season and, and want to experiment with our under-23s. And I think the two, the two teams are in such a different place that we, we could get pushed around. I can offer you an alternative view there. Now we are going to end on a positive. (laughs) I don't think that many of the Mexican players are going to be throwing themselves around the place. Yeah, they want to start, and yeah, they want to be in the squad and all this. Are you risking injuring yourself a couple of weeks before a World Cup? Whereas, I think a lot of those under-23s and under-21s players will be looking at that thinking, I've finally been picked for a squad, I've finally been selected to travel all the way here. I'm going to show you I'm here to stay. And I think I have a real point to prove. So, I, I'm actually a bit worried. I'm not. <laughs> Sod you. Uh, I'm, you haven't actually given me a prediction. Okay. Um, you just skirted around it. Do I have to? Because I don't want to actually say it out loud. Yeah, Alan said 6-0 Mexico. I think I'm going 3-1 Mexico. Oh, I hate it. 2-1 Wales. Yeah, you heard. Oh, Wales. So do my second one. On that note, we will finish. Thank you very much for listening.